everybody. Welcome to the STEM Sessions podcast, the UK STEM career podcast. Today, I'm uh, interviewing Alex Sokol. So if you'd like to please introduce yourself, Alex. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm, I'm, as you uh, beautifully introduced me, I'm Alex. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm an engineer. Um, I, I'm an electrical engineer by, let's call it trade. I went to university, uh, two universities technically, where I started my uh, bachelor's in Southampton and did my master's in the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow. A uh, fun fact is that I come from Poland. I've been in the UK for about 11 years now, so you might hear a slight strange accent. But yeah, I've been I've been uh, working for about a month, uh, sorry, a year and uh, maybe four months, five months um, since, since graduating. Um, so I graduated... Uh, yeah, in 2017, September. Um, I've been working ever since. Cool, that's great stuff. So what inspired you to become an engineer? Was there a moment or was there something at school that really made you think? Yeah, so um, I wasn't one of those people um, that you hear, you know, from from the very early age. They, they, had, they were obsessed with engineering stuff, building things. I liked my Lego. I liked these kinds of things, but I was really into computer games and spend a lot of time on their computer playing sports and things like that so I never really had I would say like a an engineering childhood as a lot of people maybe do have so I I think my kind of passion for engineering started in and around year 10 and it was kind of strange I was looking at different careers and it was anywhere from being a soldier to being a chef to being a sports scientist I then kind of got obsessed with maths, which is very strange. I was kind of in the lower sets and like the foundation sets. And then suddenly I was like, ah, do you know what? This is actually quite interesting. I want to learn it properly. And there was this uh, portal called My Maths at the time. I don't know if it still exists. And uh, I just got obsessed and did all the exercises like in my own time. Um, so I was like way ahead of my class just because I got really into it. And I really started enjoying the problem solving part of it. So I kept uh, kept at it and got up. I got got taken up a set, and I then I started. I don't know watching things like uh, Big Bang Theory, um, and that got me into Star Trek. And I was always a little bit into sci-fi movies, but that kind of propelled me. And then my dad bought me a book about um, Nikola Tesla, and that's when I was like, oh, electrical engineering sounds really cool and I got really into it so it was around yeah year 11 that I decided that I would pursue like a more mathematical A-level route and do sort of physics chemistry the the sort of standard for uh, further maths maths physics and chemistry and yeah I mean from going from like a grade C level I finished my GCSEs with an A star in maths which was quite a big jump and yeah, for moving on from that, like in A-levels, I got two A-stars in, in my maths and further maths, where I honestly wasn't, I was an average student up until year 11. Like I was cruising through my grades, you know, I was like level six, like six C, maybe five, five A, I can't remember what the, the grades are these days. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was quite a shift. Um, and I don't really know where it came from other than I think 
things like Big Bang Theory actually helped quite a bit, which is strange to think, but they seem to have propelled me in that direction. That's really cool. And I think it's quite nice that actually, you know, you, as you mentioned, you didn't have a, an engineering childhood and you weren't really that engaged with maths, but then you stepped into it in a fairly kind of late school age. And that really has now, you know, got you to where you are today. It shows that you don't necessarily always need to be involved with things straight away from kind of an early childhood. No, you can pick not. things up a bit, you know, later. Yeah. And it's not as if, you know, no one in my family, in fact, both of my parents didn't go to university. On my mother's side, no one went to university. On my dad's side, both of my grandparents did, but they didn't influence me in any way. Yeah. It was a kind of self-influenced uh, journey. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit more about what you do now in your job then. So I've been jumping a little bit since I graduated. I've actually, this is my third job. And I've only been working for, as I said, about a year and what is it now? Five, six months. So um, I've, I've been trying to look for the right job and uh, it can sometimes take a while. So right now I, um, I work for a renewable energy consultancy, but we're very focused on the electrical system of renewable energy. So when you have a wind farm, we look at the electrical parts of a wind farm and it's, it tends to be offshore wind farms. We do other projects as well, but for the projects I'm working on right now, for example, are solely um, wind farms. And uh, it's kind of the, the high voltage part of the system. And we make sure that all those components uh, you know, work and they're not going to be um, exceeding any levels and breaking, potentially causing dangerous situations, not to mention damage to equipment and therefore financial loss in some way. So, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time in front of a computer. That's mainly what I do. Uh, and I use very specialistic software to do calculations, create models, then produce results and see what those results look like and then produce any sort of any techniques that we can uh, use to, to prevent anything that, you know, any, any, uh, anything breaking, essentially. That's really interesting. That's like a really, really cool job to be able to have. So just out of interest as well, what electrical parts of a wind turbine are there? What you mentioned that there are different components. Yeah. Be great so, to find out more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at a, a wind turbine, the, you have the mechanical parts and you have the electrical parts. So the mechanical parts are the things that tend to the spins, the, the big, the big spinny thing, <laughs> um, and um, and also the the big tower that holds it. So those are the things that mechanical engineers or structural engineers will be looking at. What I look at is actually a bit beyond that. So every every wind turbine operates at a certain um, potential voltage. So think of it um, like you have in, in in your in your home your sockets they produce. Uh, or you, they come out as 230 volts. Somewhere up the network, the voltages will be higher to transport the electricity. So it's a similar type of thing in wind farms because they also the energy has to be transported long distances. So we look at the sort of the transformers, which uh, they they can change those voltage levels. Look at the cables. So you have a lot of cables 
So um, if you're looking at an offshore wind farm, they they actually are in in the seabed. So about 60 meters underwater and a few meters under the seabed. And the they, sort of cable, the big cables, which are prone to overheating and things like that. So we, we look at uh, making sure that those ratings that those, these components have, they don't go over those ratings. So yeah, you, you've, got a, you've got a wind farm which produces the energy and that kind of works like an airplane. The wing uses the same sort of principle where you have lift and that creates a rotating sort of energy. Then you have a generator, which is just an electrical generator, just like you would have, I don't know, in a nuclear power station, it's a big generator with wires and magnets and that produces electricity. And then all those downstream components like changing the voltages and cables for transporting electricity all the way to shore, more transformers and other things. There are some other components within that, but uh, mainly that's how it, how it looks. So in terms of what you do in your actual day-to-day, you said you, you, know, you use computers quite a lot and you're creating models and things like that. Is there a specific part you create models for normally or do you do a bit of all of the wind turbine? Or? It's, um, so we actually tend to get the wind farm model itself tends to be from the manufacturer. So we don't deal with the wind turbine model because it's really complicated yeah. and it takes a long time to produce that. There's a lot of little parts. When you look at the ins and outs of the wind turbine itself, there's a lot of control systems that make sure that um, when there's a, too much wind, that the um, there are not big spikes in producing energy. So there's a lot of that involved. So we don't look at that. We actually... Um, model the electrical components downstream so things like the transformers cables uh, switch gear which is like circuit breakers um, things like that so we will model those components in that in the special software and then run a set of studies to determine whether what has been designed is within the limits that these equip this this type of equipment can withstand so what's your favorite part of your job? I really enjoy programming uh, in my job. So sometimes when we um, produce models, we have to automate the process because there's a lot of studies. And if you were to do everything by click and drag, it takes a very long time. Uh, same with processing uh, the actual results. There's a lot of results, a lot of uh, data. So the easiest way to get around that is to to automate it, and that's through programs, to create programming. So we use uh, a language called Python, which is a really friendly language. It's very good. I hear that they, they teach at schools, in some schools now, which is really, really good. I think I started Python when I was about 15, and then my interest dropped, and now I'm learning it back up again. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that's, my, that's the most interesting part for me. I, I really enjoy solving a problem that i know i can find a solution to uh, like that's why i really liked maths is because i know there's a solution at the end i just have to get there somehow and um in a way i become obsessed with trying to f- to get that problem solved um so i think programming is a really yeah it's a really cool um 
cool outlet for that obsession. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think there's a part of your industry that holds some common misconceptions? So are there any myths that you want to bust? I think, um, I would say probably a common misconception is that we're all like very uh, geeky, um, nerdy people who don't really have a social life and just spend hours thinking about engineering problems which really is not the case. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, we are geeky and we are nerdy in some ways. Uh, I believe everyone is in some some respects, whether you like football or not. You, you know, you, you can be nerdy about football. So yeah. everyone's nerdy in their own way. But um, in the sense of like, you know, wearing glasses, having a top button done up, that kind of <laughs> outlook, um, which is fine as well. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But um, we, you know, we, we're very sociable people. We have a lot of uh, we have a lot of fun in the office. We joke around all the time. It's not a very serious environment. Like the whole every day, it's it's very uh, laid back in a way. And yeah, I mean myself, I I have a lot of different hobbies, from from Thai boxing, jujitsu to making music. I'm in a band myself. So yeah, it's definitely definitely not how maybe films and and series can sometimes show us as that's cool you're also making a podcast aren't you about (laughs) yes so that was that's my recent venture is uh is me and my friend are trying to start a podcast on on sort of philosophy of of martial arts so yeah there's there's always um a lot of all of all of my friends all of my engineering friends that i have from university they have hobbies that are totally not related to engineering. In fact, one of them who actually is doing a PhD right now, he is really into uh, theatre and he's been writing his own plays. So, you know, would you think that an engineer would be writing plays? I don't know, probably not. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's, I think it's, a de- it's definitely a misconception. So what um, previous jobs did you have? I know you mentioned that you've been for a few jobs a couple of times Mm. and um, did any of them help you get to where you are today? Maybe um, I'll start with um, the fact that when I was in school, so A-levels, I did have part-time jobs as well. Mm -hmm. So I worked for Subway and Waitrose. So I had my, you know, fair share of uh, working um, sort of part-time during studies. Um, And that can be a good experience in itself be in a working environment early on can can sort of help further on and and you have to go through the interview process as well so that builds you up onto getting a job when you're when you're um, building an application after you graduate you've kind of already been through some interviews and you've got that experience but uh, and since graduation um, I've worked I started uh, in, in a company which was more focused on buildings. And I kind of knew I didn't want to be in that industry, but I was open-minded because it can sometimes be difficult to find a job straight after graduation. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible. It's just to find the, the one that you really want to get can be a long process and you have to take some time. And so I, I chose a job that would get me to the city and I would be covering all my expenses. Everything would be fine. And I would still learn some engineering. So I went there again. I had to go through a lot of interview processes and stuff, which I always think is a good experience. Whether you get the job or not, it's it's really important to to go to these interviews. And then, so 
I knew that that wasn't really my industry. And I went to a, a bigger company, which was very much in my industry. And that that's uh, um, that was UK Power Networks, which is the electricity operator in, in London and around London, East Anglia and South East Anglia. So it's a very big company. And that was pretty much what I thought would be my perfect job. Um, but I still found myself not fully enjoying what I was doing. But that job really enabled where I am now. Um, and I was there for eight months and learning about physical parts of an actual you know, electrical system that operates day to day. I could then mention those things in my interview for the job that I'm in now. I think also my master's helped a lot because it was in wind energy systems. <laughs> so seeing as we work a lot on wind farms, uh, that had a part to play. But interestingly enough, the application was for a senior engineer. Um, but I applied anyway, thinking that it wasn't for a senior engineer. Um, and I still got a job, even though they were looking for someone more senior. So yeah, that's another tip. Uh, don't be discouraged if you think you haven't got enough experience. <laughs> so what do you need to be successful in your role? So I would say that the main thing is you should, um, in my particular role, you do need to have some knowledge. So it can be going to university. I am pro a proponent of universities. Um, I know right now there's a, a bit of a sort of stigma around perhaps universities not being the best way. And I do agree with that. I think there are other ways to get um, get up there through through apprenticeships and things like that. And I saw that in my last company, UK Power Networks, which is, it tends to, you know, take graduates from universities, but many people have built their way up from kind of zero to hero, let's call it. Um, so there's definitely options there, but you do need, you do need, those basic engineering, well, electrical engineering in this case, principles. So um, learning about those is is important and it definitely helps me now. Even though I might have forgotten quite a few things that I learned at university, which definitely happens. <laughs> you definitely, definitely forget. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's still somewhere there and the time it takes for you to relearn is less than if you were completely oblivious to it. Um, so yeah, education has to be a part of it. I would say managing your time is, is very important as well because the way we work is we have a lot of different projects. So I might be right now working on one project, but tomorrow my boss might say, oh, we just have this project. Can you just quickly do this? And I have to quickly be able to manage my time so that I can do kind of both things and not fall behind too much. Um, so yeah, time management is is very important as well, and sort of delegating tasks by yourself. Um, so being able to manage your, yourself um, is it, quite a, a recipe for success, I would say. So are there any challenges that you've had to overcome to get to where you are today? I think a, a challenge, in a way, is that f for me was was that um, the fact that I didn't come from an engineering family so what i was going through in terms of university trying to get to university in the first place no one in my family has been through not to mention that we're in a different country but let's forget about that one 
so I didn't really have anyone to fall back on and sort of guide me on how to approach it. So it was very much me doing a lot of research on the courses. And I really think it's very important to spend a lot of time looking at the course that you want to do. So, yeah, just not, not really having some someone who's been exactly through what you're going through. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I kind of got around that by just talking to my friends in at university and that, that can really help because they are going through the same thing as you are. So it's like its own little support circle. That was probably, yeah, that's probably my biggest one. What advice would you give to young people who are trying to pursue a career in engineering today? I would, my advice, first of all, would be, um, and this is, this might go for anything else is think about, do you like solving problems? Um, is that something that you enjoy? Because engineering is predominantly about solving problems. Um, if you're a person who maybe prefers uh, things like design or things like that, then there are definitely parts in engineering where design is important. Um, but I think I think a problem solving uh thirst <laughs> is is what um i think helped me get through university and what is making me enjoy my job right now so ask yourself that question but in terms of you know getting there if you don't want to go to university that's fine you can there are definitely ways that you can uh, achieve uh you know an engineering status by not going to university uh it might take a bit longer that's um that that might happen, but um, you might actually end up being a better engineer because you've been exposed to it for longer. If you're doing an apprenticeship, um, you would have gone it. You would have gone through from the bottom up, and that might make you even a better better manager. Why do you feel like being a STEM ambassador is important? We try to get rid of the stigma around what it means to be uh, an engineer or a scientist, and that stigma still exists. And I think it's important that we break those barriers. Young people are not intimidated by engineering or science thinking that it's, oh, it's too complicated, it's too hard for me, I would never be able to do it. Um, if you have a passion for it, you can get through anything and you'll be able to learn anything you want. You don't have to be Einstein and have an IQ of 200 you can become an engineer. It doesn't matter who you are. It's it's possible. So being being a STEM ambassador is is, is important for building young people's confidence in in that career path. Thank you very much for your time, Alex. And I uh, won't keep you from going back and designing some more parts for wind turbines. <laughs> <laughs> Thank um, you, yeah, thanks very much. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers.